Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It was the beginning of the Martin Luther King Jr. holiday weekend in Wilmington, North Carolina. And 30-year-old Ebony Spears was not doing well. Ebony, who had been diagnosed with lupus the year before, had seemingly been having negative reactions to her medication. The bright, friendly mother of one was acting disoriented and paranoid. Things got so bad that her parents contemplated having her involuntarily committed to a psychiatric hospital. The next evening, January 15th, 2016, Ebony told her parents that she wasn't coming over for a planned dinner. That night, when her boyfriend arrived at her home, Ebony was gone. No one has seen Ebony after that day. After six years of misinformation and muddled timelines, investigators and Ebony's loved ones are no closer to finding out where she went than right after she walked away. When a person goes missing, there's a special kind of pain in the not knowing. I want to tell you the stories of those who never came home. Today, I want to tell you the story of Ebony Spears. I'm Kona Gallagher. And I'm Ethan Flick. And this is, and then they were gone. Thank you for joining us once again. If you are a regular listener, then you know that last week's episode was our 100th. Absolutely mind-blowing to me. Yeah, completely that, insane. That we're still doing this, that people are still listening. <laughs> yeah, it's nuts. So thank you, everybody, for listening and supporting us. It, you know, this has been an incredible journey. And hopefully one that we can continue to do. Yeah. I mean, especially on nights like this, when you come home late from work and I text you as I'm putting our son to bed, hey, get your shit together. We're recording tonight. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to the like maybe four hours of sleep that I'm going to get tonight. That'd be great. 
last week for our 100th episode, um, you know, you're the one who told me about it and I had no ideas. So I went to our Patreon members to use them for content, basically. And they really came through, which is how we ended up with that. But there were so many good ideas. And uh, a few listeners put forth like specific cases. And one of them was the story of Ebony Spears. So it was Rebecca G who suggested her case. And as soon as I read up on it, I knew we had to do an episode. Ebony is a woman of color who was last seen at the Wilmington Police Department. She was last seen at a police department. Yep. And her disappearance has gotten basically no national press. Like the local press has covered it fairly well, but I really didn't find anything beyond Wilmington. And both her family and investigators believe that the answers are held by someone in the area. So I feel like it's important to get her story out there as much as possible. But speaking of Patreon, we've had a few more people join us over there. So thank you very much to Tiffany N., Chrissy L., Gemma H., Lindsay C., Dason W., Claire, Shauna H., Glenda S., Lisa H., Sasha I, and Melissa F. We appreciate all of you so much. Thank you so much for contributing and making this possible. Yes. If you'd like to join us and get these episodes early and more importantly, ad free at any tier, you can do so at patreon.com slash attwgpod. All right, so now that we've gotten that business out of the way, let's get into the story of Ebony Spears. Ebony Shanetta Spears was born in Wilmington, North Carolina on May 12, 1985 to Harriet and Alfonso Rivers. Ebony is the couple's youngest child, and Harriet said that her daughter was sweet and energetic and always the baby of the family, even after she had a baby of her own. Ebony was around 17 when she gave birth to her daughter, Anaya. She was a devoted mother with a great support system, so Anaya thrived. Anaya? Mm-hmm. Awesome name. Yeah. That's such a cool name. Yeah, it's really good. A-N-I-Y-A. Because Ebony was so close with her family and they still babied her a bit, even though she was 30, they knew immediately when something wasn't right with her. Their friendly, responsible daughter had been acting paranoid and depressed lately. Ebony had been recently diagnosed with lupus, a chronic illness that attacks the immune system. When somebody has this disease, the immune system can no longer tell the difference between invaders like viruses, bacteria, etc., and healthy tissue, so it just attacks everything. And this causes inflammation throughout the body and often leads to organ damage. Yeah, I had a uh, a neighbor uh, who you actually met mm-hmm. um, who had lupus and she had like incredibly arthritic hands. Right. It causes joint damage. Like it's very tough on the joints. So a lot of times, yeah, you have arthritis, you have trouble walking. I mean, just basic things like that. 
But also, according to lupusresearch.org, neuropsychiatric lupus affects 80 to 90% of patients with lupus. So it attacks their brain? Yeah. And symptoms can include brain fog, which is called like lupus fog, headaches, and depression. It sounds as though Ebony had been dealing with these issues, and because of that, she had been prescribed an antidepressant, though like I'm not sure how long she had been on it prior to her disappearance. So I don't know the exact timeline of all of this, but it does sound like, you know, she was having a lot of the symptoms, the classic symptoms of lupus, including depression. So she was taking medication to combat that, but it was not going well for her, basically. Ebony's family had, of course, noticed the depression, but it seems as though she was also experiencing side effects from the medication she was on. On January 14th, the day before she went missing, Ebony's paranoia and confusion was so bad that her parents decided that they needed to step in. Do we know what medication she was on? Not specifically, no. They just said that she was on medication for her depression. Harriet Rivers said that she took Ebony down the street to the police station to get help. Her father, Alfonso, later told reporters, quote, she was confused. She was saying people were stealing things from her, following her around, end quote. Once they got to the police station, the front desk person called EMS saying, quote, her father just came into the front desk and said that she was having a breakdown and said that she needs to be admitted, end quote. So paramedics came and evaluated Ebony. According to Harriet, they determined that she wasn't a threat to herself or anyone else, which is, as you know, the main criteria when you're in a situation like that. Correct. Right? Because you're not going to, like, diagnose them further. Well, I mean, EMTs can't. Right. Exactly. They're concerned with immediate threat. Yeah, immediate danger. Or immediate danger. Right. Yeah. So if they don't pose a threat to themselves... Or anyone else. Or anyone else. They're not saying that they're going to hurt themselves or hurt anybody else. I mean, there's nothing an EMT can do. Exactly. So, you know, according to Harriet, they said that she was fine to go home. However, WPD says that officers and EMS did advise Ebony's parents to have her involuntarily committed to a mental health hospital. Right. But even involuntary commitment, it's the same criteria. So what you're saying is if they determined she wasn't going to hurt herself or others, then you can't really have her involuntarily committed. Correct. I mean... Even if you are her parents, right? Because she's 30. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, you can't just go around like loosey-goosey throwing people in, you know, mental health hospitals. Yeah. And again, I mean inadvertent callback to our episodes on Angela Green, the mom who uh, who disappeared and her husband told their daughter that, oh yeah, the uh, mental health people came and kidnapped her in the grocery store parking lot. Yeah, and, that's, that's not a thing. Yeah. So involuntary commitment to, to a mental health facility, I mean, certainly contact them. And they'll do an evaluation, and the right. evaluation will be by either a, a psychologist, a counselor, some sort of level of therapist who, at the very least, 
would probably say the same thing. Okay, we can't involuntarily commit her. However, we can start building some sort of plan for her. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so, I mean, that that is a good step, but, like, right. you can't... Like, if she's not a threat to herself or others, they're not going to throw her in a mental health facility. Right. And so even if, you know, what the police said is true, that they advised the parents that they should involuntarily commit her, like, that's still not a thing. No. Yeah. Not at all. Right. And so I want everybody to keep that in mind as we go along with the story. So, you know, basically none of the, none of the what you were saying, like having, you know, therapists talk to her, like none of that happened that night. Basically, what happened is she was, you know, by all accounts, having some sort of an episode. She was in the parking lot of the WPD police station, the headquarters, actually, which happened to be very close to her apartment. And, you know, EMS was called. They were evaluating her. There were officers there. They determined she was not a threat to herself or others. They said she could go home. Her parents, who took her in, said, okay, she's more lucid. Because this whole process obviously took a while, right? Oh, for sure, yeah. You know? So by the end of it, Ebony was apparently, like, more lucid and more like her normal self. And so her parents were like, okay... You know, you said she's not a threat, like, it's fine. We'll just take her home with us to keep an eye on her. Because, you know, they live nearby. Yeah, no, it makes sense. Yeah, exactly. So they drove her to their house and she spent the night. Very reasonable from what I'm understanding. Yeah, I mean, it all sounds like it makes sense. Mm Mm-hmm. By the next morning, Friday, January 15th, Ebony seemed fine. The family had breakfast together, and then Ebony went back to her house. Her father drove her back home. So at this point, we're still thinking it's an adverse reaction to the antidepressants that she was on. Basically, because again, like lupus itself can cause psychiatric issues. So maybe it was a mix of both. Yeah, it might have been. I mean, potentially, because this whole lupus diagnosis was relatively recent. I don't know exactly how recent. Um, Certainly within the last year. I don't know how long she had been on medication for it, but it was definitely a whole work in progress, you know, but Ebony was definitely not acting like herself at this period in time. Right. But by the next morning, by the 15th, the morning of the 15th, she was relatively back to normal. Yeah, exactly. Back to to herself. Right. To the point where her parents were like, okay, you know, we'll drop you off back at your house. Whatever triggered this has either passed or... If it's the drugs, then they left her system. Yeah. 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 Whatever it was, they're like, okay, you're okay enough that like, we'll take you home and we can leave you alone and not be concerned about your welfare, you know? Um, So that's what they did. So it's been reported that Anaya spent Friday night at her grandparents' house. So I'm assuming that she went to school that day, Friday the 15th, and then, you know, went to her grandparents' house after or... Something along those lines. And Ebony was also supposed to come over to her parents' house that day. 
they were all going to have dinner together. So, you know, that morning on the 15th, her dad dropped her off at her apartment. But again, Ebony, you know, she had a car like she could drive. She was supposed to come over to the parents' house where her daughter was staying, where Anaya was, and they were all going to have dinner together. And I don't know if this was just a normal thing that they did or if it was like a, you know, I kind of want to keep an eye on you type situation. Yeah, sure. But I mean, either way, there's there's a solid plan in place. Mm -hmm. Or at least it sounds like. Yeah, no, they definitely had plans. And again, this was a very close family. So even if they did want to keep an extra eye on her, like this is not something that was out of the ordinary from what I understand, you know? Like, they lived near each other. They were very close. She went over there a lot. Anaya stayed over there a lot. So did, um, you know, Ebony has siblings. They have kids. They're all over there, basically. Yeah, like you were saying, even if this was something extra that they were doing to, quote-unquote, keep an eye on, on Ebony, like, it wouldn't seem out of the ordinary for Anaya. No, yeah, it wasn't crazy. Anyway, you know, her dad dropped her off in the morning, though. They were supposed to have dinner. But in terms of between that, like, morning time and the evening, I don't really know anything about Ebony's timeline. I have seen mentions of her having previously worked at a few places, including the gymnastics studio where Anaya, like, currently took classes as well as her being a temporary employee at the local university. But I'm not sure where she was that day, if she was working, if she had to work. Like, we don't know anything about her day. And this is Friday the 15th. Yeah. And this is the day that she went missing. Correct. So do we have any harder time of when... Her dad dropped her off at the apartment. No, just after breakfast is what we know. Now, what we do know is that whatever she did during the day, she was fine because at around 7 p.m., Ebony called her mother and said that, you know, she had already eaten a salad and so she wasn't going to come over for dinner. She was just going to stay home. So is that the last contact or because you... Mentioned being her being seen at a police station. Oh, yeah. That comes much, much, much later. Much later? Yeah. No, it's just okay. the, the whole the timeline is a an absolute disaster in this case. So this is what we've got. Her last phone call was this phone call to her mother around 7 p.m. So like that is a hard time, you know, like a hard fact that we do know. So she called her mom, you know, like, I don't, I'm not going to come for dinner. I already ate. And, you know, given what had happened the night before, obviously her mom was, was not in love with that. But, you know, Ebony's 30. Like, what is she going to do? Yeah, right. Can't force your adult children. You can barely force our children that are teenagers to do anything. Exactly. Or the five-year-old for that matter. <laughs> Yeah, he's another story. (laughs) But late that night, Ebony's parents received a phone call that would end up changing their lives forever.
Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The housing market may be crazy, but you still need a place to live. Hey, it's me, Kona Gallagher, host of the very podcast you're listening to right now. True crime may be one of my passions, but my other one is real estate. For those of you who don't know, I'm a realtor with Compass based in Northern Virginia. My specialty is Loudoun County, but I work all over the region helping my clients achieve their real estate goals. There are so many opportunities in the market right now, but I found that a lot of people are afraid to jump in. But you've got me, and I'm here to answer all of your questions and guide you through the process of buying or selling your home. And if you want a little behind the scenes info on the podcast, I'll throw that in as well. Interested in making your next move? Call or text me at 571-577-6383. That's 571-577-6383. I'm licensed in Virginia and look forward to helping you on your journey home. Around 11 p.m. on January 15th, Ebony's boyfriend, Antonia McCoy, went over to her apartment. I don't believe he lived there, though I'm not entirely sure, but either way, he apparently did have a key. So he went in expecting to see his girlfriend because her car was in the driveway. But when he got there, the home was empty. What he did see inside was her purse. Now, some reports say that her keys were also there, but in an interview that he gave to WECT, Wilmington's NBC affiliate, he doesn't mention the keys, just the purse. So I'm more inclined to believe that because it came directly from him as opposed to like later news stories, which are often like playing a game of telephone in cases like this. So is this going to be another uh, hoagie incident? No. Where they say that she left on her own volition and left everything there and then just wandered off into the night? No, actually not. I mean, honestly, that doesn't, I'm sure that was part of it briefly because it always is, but it actually was not a major part of this case. Thank God. I know. So her boyfriend, Antonio, told reporters, quote, I looked in it, meaning the purse, the license I remember being there, there was cards in it, bank cards, end quote. So he looks in her purse and mm-hmm. he sees bank cards. Right. Like all of her normal cards. Do we know what his timeline was or his alibi was? Nope. We know nothing except that he got there around 11. P.M. And, yeah, P.M. The night of the 15th. And that didn't even come out till like three weeks later. Yeah, we really don't know anything about him. Because this, this is the first time you're mentioning him. And right. so I obviously have questions about him as far as a suspect. Yeah, and it's the first time that I'm mentioning him because, you know, in reading 
all of the the news articles when this first happened, he was not mentioned at all. And in some of the ones that came like a week or so later, there was something that said a family friend was at her apartment around 10 p.m. and waited for her for three hours and then didn't find her. And so, of course, people are like, what? That's a weird thing for a family friend to do. And so it was three weeks afterwards that it was her boyfriend, Antonio McCoy, who gave an interview. And so like they that was the first time he was in, identified and they could kind of, you know, get the full story of what that meant. And so, yeah, I don't know if he was living there or not, like I said, but he did say that he had seen her that morning, the morning of the 15th which I have to imagine means after her father dropped her back off because she had stayed the previous night at their house and had and had had breakfast with them. So anyway, he got there around 11 p.m. and, you know, he saw her purse there. But according to this interview, he did not see her keys. He didn't he did not see her cell phone. But again, like all of her money, you know, so he just assumed that maybe she'd stepped out for a bit. He didn't really know what to think. Right. So the keys are missing, but the car is there. Correct. And her cell phone is missing. Yeah. So he just kind of waited, you know, but and, and tried to call her. So he tried to call her several times, but the calls just went straight to voicemail. And by 1 a.m., she still wasn't there. So I don't know what he knew about what had happened the day before, but he was concerned enough at that point that he called Ebony's parents. Now, everyone was worried because, you know, Ebony didn't like go out on Friday nights. You know, they didn't think this was the situation where she just like was out somewhere hanging out and just didn't want to come home or was just, you know, partying. Well, like, especially not so close to having an incident like that right or even if she was perhaps in like some sort of manic state or whatever like she left her wallet behind all her money where are you gonna go right her mother harriet told reporters quote my daughter quit going out years ago this is just not her nature end quote because again she's also the mother of a 13 year old that's exhausting yeah and she's 30 at this point yeah so on Saturday morning, because keep in mind that all this is happening at like 1 a.m. when they're realizing something might be wrong, but you know, there's not a whole lot you can do at 1 a.m. So by the next morning, you know, when no one could still get a hold of Ebony, because by this time everyone's trying to call her and they're just getting her voicemail, Harriet and Alfonso reported their daughter missing. But like so many of our other cases, this was a holiday weekend. So police didn't start the investigation immediately. According to Harriet, Wilmington PD didn't conduct any searches until Tuesday, February 19th, four days after anyone had heard from Ebony Spears. Tuesday? Yeah, babe. Monday was a holiday. Okay. <laughs> <sighs> okay. Look. I get it. Like, 
no, I don't get it. <laughs> this is infuriating to me because I'm a police officer. And as you know, I am on call for holidays and weekends. Not every holiday, not every weekend, but like there's a structure set up. Yeah. So Wilmington is not a small town. No, yeah, Wilmington, North Carolina, it, like right. not at all. Yeah, it's not like a, a a police department that has four officers. Right. So why wouldn't they have a structure set up where there is an on-call detective for holidays and weekends? I don't know, but you know, she's an adult. Which is already like several strikes against her, as we have seen in many other cases. And it just sounds like they're like, well, she's an adult, you know, whatever. I An adult not- with a history of mental health issues because of either, you know, adverse reactions to medication or lupus. Yeah, but I don't know that... The officers who were like on duty that weekend knew about any of that. I don't know what her parents told them. So I am not, I, I don't know if they were aware of her history. But there was an incident the night before. Oh, I don't think they knew. We're, we'll, we'll talk about that. I, I, I'm just, I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm just dumbfounded by this. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry. I've I've been a cop for 18 years. Like holidays and weekends don't fucking mean anything. Well, honey, we've also done a hundred and now 101 episodes, and many of them have taken place over holiday weekends. And in each one, this is what happens. Like the case doesn't get investigated until after the holidays over. <laughs> Even if it's a kid, Johnny Gosh, like that was Labor Day weekends. They're like, yeah, we'll we'll get to it after we're done with our barbecue. So WECT covered Ebony's story pretty quickly. And in an interview with Harriet, her mom, she talked about her frustrations with the way police were handling her daughter's case. Yeah, I'm frustrated with it. <laughs> right. So she said, quote, we did our own search on Monday. They did their search on Tuesday. We distributed flyers and everything on Monday. Then Tuesday, they went out with a team, dogs or whatever, and searched the surrounding area neighborhood, end quote. So police did confirm that they searched on that Tuesday, but wouldn't say if they had any other searches planned. Yeah, hey, we, you know, we got around to it. Right. And they looked and they searched the area around her apartment building, basically. To no avail, apparently. And then they they were just like, well. We tried. Yeah, so we're like four days into it. No clues. And they're like, yeah, I don't know. Maybe we'll do searches. Maybe we won't. Look, I mean, I get that she's an adult. But you have a a missing, endangered adult. Like, there should be some, some sense of urgency there. One would think. So Web Sleuths is really helpful with cases like this because we can usually see stories as they come out. 
So we know how information is presented and how that information changes as time goes on. And like I talked about this with the Nancy Moyer case because it was extremely helpful to just really see the order in which things were released and like the, you know, general public's kind of impressions of it and things like that. And the same is here because in this case, we have such a muddled, weird timeline. It's very interesting to see when certain pieces of information were released and like when other pieces of of information were updated or changed. For instance, on January 26th, 11 days after she was last seen, it was being reported that Ebony was last seen at Point at Taylor Estates, the apartment complex where she lived. Nothing I was able to find that was published at that time had information about when that sighting was. So it could have been as early as that morning when her father dropped her off after breakfast, you know, like that could have been the last sighting because her dad said, yeah, I dropped her off at her apartment. But then by early February, so we're talking, you know, a couple weeks after her disappearance, there were reports of someone having seen her around 7 p.m. on January 15th. But I couldn't find any working links to the original sources, just kind of references to it. But the biggest bombshell would come on February 9th, about three weeks after Ebony went missing. Wilmington police came out and said, oops, she wasn't actually last seen at her apartment. She was actually here at the police station. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah, so, you know, the question I thought you said she was last seen at the police station. Yes, they didn't apparently figure that out for three weeks. What? WPD Captain Jim Verone spoke to the media and said that Ebony came into the Wilmington Police Headquarters on Bess Street around 8 p.m. This station is only about a third of a mile or half a kilometer away from Ebony's apartment. So is this the same place that she was the day before the she day went before? Missing. Yes. Okay. Did did they not put two and two together? No, not until three weeks later. At least publicly. If we're giving them the benefit of the doubt. According to Captain Verone, Ebony came in and asked to use the phone. The person at the front desk directed her to a courtesy phone, but Ebony apparently couldn't get it to work, so she got upset and left. So that's the extent of her being in the police station? According to Captain Verone, yes. How how sure are they that it was her? 
I mean, do they have like CCTV footage of it? They do. Captain Verone didn't give any more information at that time, saying just that, quote, right now, this is still very much a missing persons case, but we're very much concerned because so much time has gone by and no one has seen or heard from Miss Spears. So we're very concerned about our welfare and our ultimate goal is to get her reunited with her family, end quote. He also said that WPD, in conjunction with Crime Stoppers, was going to offer a $5,000 reward for information on Ebony's whereabouts. Cool. Mm-hmm. So my first thought, and which you've already kind of touched on and was the first thought of many people, was where's the surveillance video? Well, WPD didn't release it. Which isn't very abnormal, right? No, no. Like, they often don't release it in ongoing investigations, and that's fine. But they did permit Ebony's parents to view it. Okay. Which is good and interesting. Yeah. Because a lot of times that isn't even a thing. So let's compare the police's tale of the video to her father's. The police story is the one I've already given you. That she came in, asked for the phone, they gave her the front desk phone, she tried to use it, got frustrated, and walked away. But according to her father, that is not what he got from watching the footage, which was over five minutes long. He said, quote, from what I've seen on that film over and over again, she was asking for help and they turned their back on my daughter. I couldn't hear the audio, but I could see my daughter. I know my daughter. I know she was asking for help. I know she was, end quote. And, you know, he later said in a different interview that she was like pacing back and forth. You know, she seemed agitated, like she seemed concerned. And nobody really talked to her or, you know, tried to figure out what was going on. And interestingly... I read in some random article that, you know, police said that that was the only surveillance video, Mm -hmm. like inside the lobby, that there wasn't any video from outside or anything like that. But if you go on Google Maps, there is very clearly at least one camera outside on the entrance of the building perhaps more you know that i'm not sure of i'm 100 percent sure there's at least one there could be more and i did go back because the most recent google map image is from like i don't know 2019 or something but i went back to one from 2012 which was four years before this and that same camera was in the image so it was definitely there in 2016 but they're claiming that she was not caught on any video other than the lobby camera. Well, so we don't know. I mean, you saw a camera on Google image. We don't know where that camera is facing. I mean, it's directly in front of the doorway. So my guess would be like the steps leading up uh, one would think we also don't know if that's functional. Like I, I'm, I'm playing devil's advocate here. 
Um, okay. And listen, I know that not every police department is as fancy as where you work, but like, this is not a small podunk police department. Like this is a large building. They put some money into this and I get that it's not where you work, but when I was in front of your building and you're the one behind the camera, like you could zoom, like zoom in <laughs> on my friggin' facial expression, and it was incredibly creepy. Yeah, well, I and mean, I wasn't anywhere near the door. I was like hundreds of feet away, if not yards. I mean, I I don't know whether this police department has PTZs. But yeah, I mean, I do. The, yes. So I'm not saying that it's going to be all that, but there was a camera and I do not buy that there was zero footage from that camera. Because again, I don't think that was the only one. I do think that there were more cameras because there are other things that I could see in the image that looked like cameras, but I can't 100% say that they were. But there was one that I can 100% say was a camera. And I, I, don't, I don't buy it. Okay, but why do you think that they would be hiding that, but releasing, or well, not releasing, but talking about the, the footage from the lobby of the building? Yeah, because I think that any additional footage, whatever was happening in it, would show more culpability on their part for whatever happened to Ebony. Whether it was her being in distress, her acting erratic, whether it was something happening to her from somebody else, I think that they're just covering their asses. Well, that seems like a bit of a stretch. All right, well, we'll we'll get into the story of my Therese Richardson in just a moment. <laughs> Back to the footage. Police initially said that they didn't release it out of compassion for Ebony's family. But... <laughs> but they showed the footage to Ebony's family. Correct. So if Ebony's family didn't want it seen they would have said that. Correct. And in fact, they said the opposite. Her mother immediately came out and said that they wanted it released. Harriet says that it's important because it shows what her daughter was last seen wearing and yes. how she was acting. Right. And she's right because, remember, this is all coming out three weeks after Ebony was last seen. And up until this point, her posters and everything had said that she was wearing jeans, a white t-shirt, and Timberland boots. But according to this footage, she was also wearing a purple hoodie with staff written on the back. And that's much more distinctive yes. than a freaking white t-shirt. Right. So having this image out there to the public would be extremely helpful in an investigation like this. Yeah. Would have been extremely helpful three weeks prior. Sure. But even if they didn't figure it out until three weeks later, still, it would have been helpful. 
but they would not release it. Not only would they not release the video, but like a spokesperson said at the time that they hoped they could release stills, but that has never happened. So I am curious. So you have this incident that happens, right? Mm -hmm. And then three weeks later, they admit to this happening. I'm just, I'm just curious what happened? How how did, how how did they they put, yes, no idea. So just randomly three weeks later, later, they're like, Oh, we're, we were reviewing something Mm -hmm. and we looked at the footage of this camera yeah. No, the police, Captain Verone, like he literally came out and was like, oh, hey, by the way, she wasn't last seen at her apartment. She was last seen here at our police station. And that was it. Like there's no more context, no more information on investigative discoveries that led to this. It was just like, oh, yeah, yeah. Here's like another piece of information that we've gathered. At this point, do we even have like a, a lead detective on this case that we know of? Mm, not that I know of, no. I do have a lead detective who comes in later, but yeah, I don't think I have one at this point. So, you know, when it came to the police saying that they were like trying to not release it because of her family, here it was like, mm, no. <laughs> and said, quote, if they are trying to be compassionate to me, they would release whatever. So the public can see and help find Ebony. They're not being compassionate to me. I don't feel like. If nothing to hide, nothing to cover up, release it. End quote. And like, that's hard to argue with. So it kind of boggles my mind that they did. But this is the point where I put on my tinfoil hat. So get ready. I just find it very easy interesting that the police took three weeks to figure out that the last place Ebony was actually seen was their headquarters. But somehow on the very same day that this news came out, they also said, Oh, by the way, a neighbor saw her around her apartment at 10. It should also be noted that this time later changed to 1045. So, yeah, so this story comes out that like, oh, yeah, she wasn't last seen at her apartment. She was actually at the police station at eight. But don't worry about all that because a neighbor saw her back at her apartment at like 10. Okay, well, maybe it was 1045. Don't worry. It's fine. But who is the neighbor? I don't know. Did he know Ebony prior to her disappearance? No clue. Your guess is as good as mine. So this was just something that they said yeah just a neighbor yeah okay yeah so one piece of information that did come out because the reporters are covering it by this point are like all right what like you're gonna drop this hole she's at the police station three weeks later and then also there was a neighbor two hours after that to like you know make it find that she was there like that had nothing to do with her disappearing so that's strange so they you know dug a little deeper 
and spoke to a clerk at the New York Mini Mart, which is located at 602 Nixon Street, which is between Ebony's apartment and the police station. It's actually right around the corner from her apartment. So it's like the most convenient, you know, store to her. And the clerk there said that police never asked for surveillance video. Perfect. Yep. And WECT, so that that's NBC affiliate who was covering this case, they asked the department for comment, and the reply they received was, quote, the mother is making allegations we did not do our job. I have no further comment for the media on these questions, end quote. The mother. Well, that's incredibly retaliatory. Mm-hmm. It immediately made me think of the Cindy Song case. Yeah, yeah. Right? Right. Episode two, for those of you who are new here. Um, yeah, the very second episode oh, that the, we... The family's being difficult, yep. so we're having issues. Mm-hmm. Using that as an excuse for, like, not performing a proper investigation. Right. The mother. Like, calling her the mother. It's so disrespectful. Like, you know her fucking name. It's Harriet Rivers. So, Okay. I understand that what I've said so far isn't exactly tinfoil hatty of me, like I promise, because it seems more like just a shitty police investigation and general disinterest regarding a missing woman of color. But as I said earlier, this is so similar to my Therese Richardson that when I first read this story, the hairs on my arms stood up. Now, I know you don't know anything about nope. Matrice Richardson. This is a case that has like stuck with me for years. It's one of the ones that is just constantly in my head. And I can't get into it very much, you know, or else we'd be here for hours. So the short Wikipedia version of the Matrice Richardson case is that in 2009, Matrice Richardson, a 24-year-old black woman, went missing in Calabasas, California. Now, for those of you who are not familiar with that area, this is where the Kardashians live. It's a very ritzy area in Los Angeles. Mitrice was reportedly acting erratically at a fancy steakhouse. And so the people there called the police after it appeared she couldn't pay her check. Los Angeles Sheriff's deputies arrived and gave her a field sobriety test, which she passed. But they still arrested her on, quote, suspicion of not paying for the meal, end quote, and possession of less than an ounce of marijuana. Now, at this time, I do believe medical marijuana was legal in California, but recreational marijuana was not. So that I assume would still be an arrestable offense. I don't know. She was detained at the Malibu Lost Hill Sheriff's Station. At some point, Mitrice's mother was informed of this arrest, and she brought up concerns of her daughter's mental health to the officers. Despite their assurances that Mitrice wouldn't be released until the next morning, because basically her mom was like, you know, hey, she's had some issues, like, keep her there, we'll come get her in the morning. And the officers she spoke with were like, okay, yeah, we'll keep her, you know. Because it's late by this point, right? Like, yeah, we'll keep her. You come get her. It'll be fine. This was an arrest. It was not a major arrest. She didn't kill anybody, you know. Despite all this, though, Mitrice was released at 1228 a.m. 
from the sheriff's station, which was like a substation. It was like a very tiny little place in the middle of nowhere. Released at 1228 a.m. while her purse, phone, and money were still in her car, which had been impounded. So they let her go in the middle of the night with literally nothing. Four months later, on January 9th, 2010, Mitrice's body was discovered in a creek bed in Malibu Canyon. And again, there's so much more to this story. It's ridiculous and infuriating and insane, but the basic facts are similar. A black woman who seems to be going through a mental health crisis ends up in a police station and then goes missing. The police then refuse to release the video footage because, again, there was video footage of Mitrice's visit that the L.A. County Sheriff's Department has also refused to release. And that was over a decade ago. Now, Ebony's case is extremely shady to me and the convenient 10 p.m. slash 1045 p.m. neighbor in Ebony's case like doesn't exactly fill me with confidence. And by this time, you know, we're talking like three weeks later, police also said that they had gotten her phone records, but they didn't release them to the family. So the family asked for the phone records, but the police said no. And, you know, this does make sense to an extent, right? Because, like, you've got to look at the people closest to her first. Sure. So you don't necessarily want to give evidence in the case away to potential suspects. However, at the same time, like, these are the people who may have a deeper understanding of who Ebony had been communicating with the night before her disappearance, Like they have context that police who are just going over these phone records would not have. These are also people that should have been investigated and either cleared or listed as suspects one way or the other immediately. Right. And whether they were or they weren't, I have absolutely no public record. Like, well, sure. Saying either way. Well, yeah. I mean, if they were cleared, they would have said it. One would think. Or if they had an investigator on this. Yeah. But I don't know that they did at this point. You know, often in these cases we say, oh, we've like polygraphed the main family members. They passed, you know, whatever. We got nothing about that. Like we have absolutely zero insight into the police investigation other than they performed a search near her apartment the Tuesday after she disappeared. And then three weeks later, they said, oh, by the way, she was at our police department. And then a neighbor saw her two hours after that. Like that is the extent of the information we have from the police on the initial investigation. So by May of 2016, so now we're talking like four months later, Police had also backtracked from their statement that they weren't releasing surveillance video out of deference to Ebony's family. Now they were saying that they weren't releasing it because it would impede the investigation. It was also around this time, several months after her disappearance, that more of her timeline was made public. Apparently, someone who worked at the nearby Boys and Girls Club said that between 7 and 8 p.m. on January 15th, Ebony had flagged them down and asked to be driven to the club. They agreed, and she spoke to a social worker there, 
and then left for the police station, apparently to use the phone, as we've heard before. So this is filling in that hour gap between when she called her mother and when she showed up at the police station. Because she called her mother and said she wasn't coming to dinner around 7. Then the person who was driving the van for the Boys and Girls Club said that like sometime between 7 and 8, they picked her up. And she and took her to the club where she spoke with somebody. And then from there, she went to the police station. But here's the interesting thing. The Boys and Girls Club is a short walk from Ebony's apartment, like not something she would need a ride to. Like it's very close. In fact, between her apartment and the police station, the club is the literal halfway point. She could have just as easily gone home to make a call. Like she wasn't closer to the police station. It wasn't more convenient. Like she was in the middle point because it's a big square. And, you know, again, keep in mind that while her boyfriend found her purse in her apartment, he did not find her phone. So she would have presumably had it with her. And, you know, of course, it could have been dead. But again, wouldn't it make more sense to just head home and charge it and make a call? Unless there was some reason you didn't want to go home. So are we looking into the boyfriend at this point? I have no idea because there's literally no other information on this guy other than the fact that he said he got there at 11. He waited around for her, called her parents, and that's what kicked this whole thing off. There's no information about what he was doing beforehand, what the relationship was like. I saw something that said that he was actually Anaya's father, but I have no idea if that's even the case. Nothing. Like, I do not know anything about this guy. But the timeline is also wonky because the route from her apartment to the Boys and Girls Club to the police station and back to her apartment is, like I said, a literal square. And I, I mapped it out on Google Maps, and so we have that up on our blog so you can see it. If all of these settings are correct, her apartment to the club to the police station and back to her apartment completed the square. Then, around 10 or 10.45, depending on I don't even know what, she left her apartment and went back in the same direction that she initially went in like toward the Boys and Girls Club, but stopped at the mini mart, which is on her, which is on the way around the corner after asking a random neighbor for a cigarette. So that's the story that came out later, that that's like the neighbor who saw her at 10 or 1045 or something. She asked him for a cigarette and he didn't have one or said no or whatever. And so she went off toward the mini mart but this was apparently at 10 45 and meanwhile her boyfriend arrived at her apartment at 11 and didn't see her and she was going to the mini mart one would assume to get cigarettes right if she like asked somebody for a cigarette they didn't have one she went to the mini mart the logical conclusion is she was going for cigarettes except she didn't have her purse. She didn't have her wallet. She presumably did not have any money on her. I want to reiterate, we don't know who this neighbor is. We don't know if this is somebody who, one, even exists, if you want to be conspiratorial about it, 
Or, you know, two, if you're giving everybody the benefit of the doubt, we don't know if this is somebody who knew Ebony prior to this night, or if it's just somebody who's like, oh, yeah, I saw a lady who seems like that, and she asked me for a cigarette. Like, that's two very different things to me. And so what this comes down to is either a shitty investigation or a police cover-up. Statistically, I'm inclined to go with shitty investigation. Yeah, I mean, I would agree with you there. I I think that's pretty evident. I, I don't know whether I would jump to the conspiracy theory of a cover-up of some sort. The only thing that I think makes a cover-up seem likely is that they're trying to cover up a shitty investigation. Like, that's the cover-up? Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll give you that. Yeah. But like, But yes, I mean, I think that it's less likely that it's a police cover-up because something happened to her when she went to the police station that night. Right. You know, that an officer is involved in her disappearance. Although, my Teresa Richardson, I I have a lot more feelings on that that very much lend themselves to police cover-up for nefarious reasons, but again, not this episode. As a side note, I have reached out to Wilmington PD and asked them to release the surveillance footage in an effort to get more leads because this case is six years old and, you know, we have no photos. Like, and by photos, I mean stills, from footage right. or video or anything showing Ebony on her last day um, before she went missing, you know, what she was wearing. Like all of this is extremely important in generating tips and jogging memories and things like that. Um, I've also asked them for a comment on this. The detective actually did get back to me very quickly and directed me toward the public information officer. He said something to the effect of, this needs to go through the proper channels. And then gave me the PI. Yes. (laughs) Standard canned answer. Mm -hmm. He he wrote it from his iPhone, though. Well, I mean... He replied to me at like 10 p.m. (laughs) Hey, you know, so he did reply. He did, very quickly, like the same day. And that is probably like in their policy that I'm they sure have to refer you to their PIO. Yeah. And he did. And he gave me their email address. And so like I sent the same email to them. I've yet to hear back. Um, you know, but again, like obviously if I do and it's more than just like, no comment, <laughs> I'll definitely bring you guys that information and do an update. But regardless of the reason behind all the muddled information in this case, Ebony needs to be found. Her daughter was 13 when she went missing and she has gone through her teen years without her mother. Ebony's parents have lost their baby. The last big news in this case came in January of 2022, just after the sixth anniversary of her disappearance. Wilmington police and the Q center for missing persons completed a two day search for Ebony, but unfortunately found nothing. Monica Kaysen, who works with Q, helped coordinate the search. She told reporters, quote, We didn't find any kind of clues or anything to even suggest that she was there, but it helps us to move on because the family has always questioned a lot of areas and they've been adamant. You know we want a really good search and we want to make sure that she's not there. 
and reviewing the case and just trying to figure out where to start over again, end quote. Ebony Spears' friends, family, and co-workers continue to search for her. Harriet Rivers has always said that someone local knows something. It's been six years. Now is the time for someone to help her loved ones have closure. Ebony Spears has been missing from Wilmington, North Carolina since January 15, 2016. She's a black woman with black hair and brown eyes. She's between 5'7 and 5'8 and 140 to 150 pounds. Ebony was last seen wearing a white shirt, jeans, Timberland boots, and a purple hoodie that says staff on the back. She has a tattoo of a rose on her right shoulder and a butterfly on the top of her right foot. She was 30 when she went missing. She would be 37 today. If you have any information regarding the disappearance of Ebony Spears, please contact the Wilmington Police Department at 910-343-3686. You can see all the sources for this episode along with photos and videos at our website and thentheywergone.com. And be sure to follow us on social and then they were gone pod on Facebook and at ATTWG pod on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. If you like what we're doing, please subscribe and consider leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It will help new listeners find us. And the more people that listen, the more chances we have of bringing someone home. And we'll see you here next week for a brand new episode. See you next week. And Then They Were Gone is hosted by Kona Gallagher and Ethan Flick. All research writing and editing is done by Kona Gallagher. Theme music is The Stork by Ketza. Additional music is provided by Kai Engel. And Then They Were Gone is a Little Monster production. Hey, you can do it!